Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. Dennis Rodman is my role model. One day I'm going to have the courage to say, I just can't write anymore. I need to go to Vegas and get plastered for 48 hours. Pete Thamel. I want the 30 for 30 on Isaiah Thomas's Florida International head coaching yeah. stand. That's what America needs during the pandemic. And SI's Pat Forty. I asked my daughter about Stanford. She said, nobody wants to go in the football stadium even when they're playing football, much less when they're not. <laughs> Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Welcome to the pod. Another week, COVID madness. Big weekend, though. We had uh, NFL draft, which we all watched both for NFL purposes and with uh, some college angles we're going to get to, including uh, which program underachieved the most considering how many players they had. Because we will be negative here. <laughs> The ethos here is not good job, Baylor, almost making the playoff with like a second rounder and a fourth and a couple other scraps. No, (laughs) it's what the hell, Michigan? Where are you, Urban Meyer? We're going to get into all that. But as a sports podcast, we are under, you know, governments have a lot of power now due to the coronavirus. And we are under a, I believe, an edict that we must talk about the last dance. I think no sports podcast cannot discuss the last dance or else we will be told to shelter in place even longer. We're trying to just flatten the curve. So we're going to do our part, right? We're going to flatten the curve and beat that topic to death because we don't have many other topics. Two great parts of the show uh, Sunday night. One was Dennis Rodman's vacation. Oh, (laughs) Now, there are better. I thought they did an okay job with Rodman. I did not think they did the best job with the Rodman story. The actual bad boys 30 for 30, which is out there, I thought explained Rodman much better. They did a lot better job on who Rodman was, why he was like he was and all that. And I was kind of disappointed that. They just, I just didn't think they told Rodman's story particularly well, but they did have the details of this vacation. Um, in the middle of the 97-98 season, Scottie Pippen returns. Rodman gets all out of sorts and then decides to tell Phil Jackson, who then has to clear it with Michael Jordan, that he needs to go get his head right by getting bombed off his ass for <laughs> for 48 hours in Vegas. Okay, now as an employee, I find this to be the most <laughs> the motivational <laughs> You know how they say sports will teach you life lessons? Athletes are role models. Dennis Rodman is my role model. One day I'm going to have the courage to say, I just can't write anymore. I need to go to Vegas and get plastered for 48 hours. What I hear if I could take a vacation from the pod in Vegas. You go right ahead. Don't even come back. Properly denied. Don't even come back. We don't care. Stay as long as you want. (laughs) That's the thing. You have to be missed for it to for it to work. The Ah. the greatest (laughs) employee ask 
of all. T- this isn't just like you work at a an accounting firm. You're on the damn NBA team, the five time champions. They're going to notice you're not at the game. <laughs> yeah, there's a TV broadcast. There's a media. And Rodman, I got to go to Vegas, man. I got to get my head right. <laughs> Greatest hero in NBA history is now Dennis Rodman because I didn't either did not know or forgot about that story. Pat, what well, do you think? Yeah. He showed back up in the pajama pants. Yeah, he oh, was, yeah right. That the, was the best part. Yeah, the, the, the flannel... Flannel pajama pants and and flip flops. And he only came back two days late. Okay, so he's supposed to go for 48. He stays two extra days. And Michael freaking Jordan (laughs) has to go to an undisclosed hotel room and drag him out of bed with Carmen Electro, who's hiding behind a couch because she's so embarrassed that Michael Jordan is going to see her. And then he shows up in practice in pajamas. (laughs) <laughs> Dennis Rodman is the employee of the month, the year that I, I love this guy. Now the value of having a skill that your employer absolutely needs. That's it. If they can't win without you, if you, if they need you to rebound the ball, Hey, play your, play your leverage, man. Uh, it's incredible. To, and people brought it up, um, uh, like in this day and age, if somebody tried that, oh my gosh, the world would melt down. I mean, especially like a a Rodman Vegas blowout with everybody armed with uh, cell phone video. Oh my goodness! I mean, Johnny there was Manziel, enough video as it was to make. Remember it look Johnny Manziel tried this. Yeah, he left right. the Browns and then was seen in Vegas. <laughs> People said, "You're Johnny Manziel." He says, "No, I'm Billy Manziel." Remember that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that wasn't the time he was seen floating on a swan or something like that, an inflatable <laughs> swan. So, but this is the problem. Rodman could pull this, pull it off. Johnny Manziel no, he, could not. So, no, no. It's nice to have a powerful ally like uh, Michael Jordan, basically saying, "Phil, let him do it," and and have a coach like Big Chief Triangle, the you know the the Zen philosopher who could at least somewhat wrap his head around letting this happen. What an epic move. All-time power move. Outlandish. I want to know how they got all the video of him in Vegas. Like, who is taking that video? Because, like, right. you saw one of the dudes on the bus. He had, like, a big camcorder. Did he just, like, roll around with a video guy? I, someone doing a documentary on him at the time? Like, I don't think th- that th- was a, no from that weekend. I think that was other. Oh, okay. I think, they, yeah. yeah, a little trick of the um, documentary yeah, films uh yeah they well you're in enough of these dan you know all the tricks yeah i know the point, tricks so. and, and and the pictures and stuff are completely out of context yeah it's right, always yeah, funny right. and then like there'll be some like downs like you watch any of them they'll be like you know all of a sudden something bad will be happening and they'll show a picture of the guy grimacing or something it'll be like michael jordan be grimacing it's just because he got like knocked in the nads you know not because he's actually <laughs> worried about the phil pippen relationship you know like <laughs> I, I was slightly disappointed because you know, so you see President Clinton make an appearance, you see President Obama make an appearance, you see Carmen Electra. They couldn't get Madonna. Yeah, right. I guess she said like, no. You know, where was Madonna? Like, would have been great to get her on camera. No, for sure. Yeah. Doing an interview. Come on. But- <laughs> I don't think she's really. Proud. Might not be all that proud of those days. <laughs> she's got like a young daughter, doesn't that teenage Honestly, daughter? Who, who would be proud to say, "Yeah, I dated Dennis Rodman." I, I don't know. <laughs> you like, you know, she's got a daughter. She's like, you know, look, you want a guy who cares for you, and you know, not you dated Rodman, Rodman, mom. <laughs> How about the Barbara Walters interview? She's like really oh, trying to ask all these serious questions, and then she's like. Can you do me a favor and take off your hat so America can see your pink hair? <laughs> People freaked out about Rodman. One of the other details that were great was they said Rodman went directly from the meeting to the O'Hare airport and just got on a plane, which I I, I really yeah. like. That's pretty epic. Did you pack? Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Just, no. no suitcase, no clothes. Just, hey. I, uh, yeah. You know, there there were some people following around Rodman with cameras, though, at one point. I mean, who knows from context, but like the, the part where he's he's shotgunning a Miller Lite, then jumping on his Harley or whatever <laughs> in the, the parking lot and driving away from the stadium with a pot posse of guys. It's like, wow. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, like, did Jordan fly to Vegas to get him? Were they were they I, I it it 
It, that was that a part was to me. that was unclear. I, yeah, like we, we, which bed did he pull him out of? A Chicago bed, a Vegas bed, some other bed? I, my yeah, guess I is he came back to Chicago, had the intention of sobering up, but didn't. <laughs> yeah. And then he found him. They found him in there. Um, mm-hmm. The the Rodman um, going straight to the airport is. I'll tell you one of my favorite uh, Aaron Hernandez stories uh, that was not in the documentary was. If you remember the, the trip to Florida where Aaron ends up allegedly shooting Alexander Bradley in the eye, these two go down to Florida basically to party and possibly buy tons of drugs. Um, <laughs> allegedly, I don't want to you know defame either of these allegedly. two fine individuals, but they're at the Har- they're in Hartford and they're gonna go to the airport, but they're so stoned they they show up late. Their flight's like, you know, I don't know, I was leaving at like 6 o'clock, and they get there at like 5.30, 5.45 or something. And they do what I think every one of us has always wanted to do at an airport. They just pull up and leave the car on the curb. <laughs> uh, how many times I've been tempted to do that? Oh, yeah. Don't even grab their bags and just go. They just walk and go and get on the flight. They have nothing. They were going for a week. Then they were going to Arizona to film a muscle milk commercial or something. And and like they have no clothes. They just and I don't know if the car is already stolen, who knows, but they just leave the car. Just, I was Alexander Bradley told that story in the airport at the on the on the stand under oath. I was like this is these oh two dysfunctional gosh. potheads. <laughs> There is a there's a a, a hack uh, mythology story that I've never been able to either confirm 100 percent or deny that uh, Billy Reed, the the former Sports Illustrated writer from Louisville who worked for the Courier Journal and the Lexington Herald Leader, pulled that uh, in the Atlanta Atl- in Atlanta of all places, rolled up in his rental car. He was running late, throws the keys to like a bellhop for Delta or something or a, be- a baggage guy and says, uh, "Can you take care of this car for me? I got to go catch my plane." And the car supposedly was found stripped of parts somewhere. Else. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good story. I can't say it's 100 percent true. Yeah, this could dovetail into bad sports writer talk of like which rental car places are the furthest from the airport, like <laughs> oh, in, in terms of like like the migraine. Because I know you both have refined opinions on this. I feel like Miami is like you know it might as well you know it might as well be in Orlando when you try to get your uh, when you try to get your rental car back there, and it just. Those are the things that drive you crazy because you're like counting the hours of sleep. Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to get back from the game at 2. My flight's at 7 a.m. Oh, no, I need to leave an hour earlier so I can go to Dubuque to drop off my rental car. <laughs> Atlanta, you got to take the tram. Yeah, I don't right. like the tram. No. San Francisco actually may be the physically first. San Francisco's the worst yeah, in my opinion. That's yeah. a long one. And uh, Phoenix, I recall, not being. But they have a bus at least. Um, yeah. Yeah, you want that bus waiting for you there. But yeah, good yeah. good on Rodman. Uh, he's my hero. Just phenomenal. I need a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> the other part of this, obviously, was the 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 rivalry between the Pistons and the Bulls, and the the big non handshake at the end of the, uh, I think ninety one. Is it ninety one or ninety two? Ninety one. Ninety one. Ninety one Eastern Conference Finals. I find this to be the most uh, overblown Michael Jordan pettiness fueled scandal in in sports history and this is why jordan controls everything jordan controls he controlled the media then because he's very good at doling out access he controlled all the marketing arms uh he controlled the nba wanted him everybody wanted him it was all about this oh my god they didn't shake hands now should they shake shook hands yeah sure absolutely but my god 30 years later we're still going over this this era of basketball they mauled each other on a daily basis. And not just the Pistons. The Celtics were a bunch of freaking brutes. Kevin McHale almost killed uh, uh, Rambus in the NBA Finals. Uh, the, the Lakers were brutes. The Celtics were brutes. The Pistons were brutes. The Bulls were brutes. Everybody, they crushed each other. It's like, you elbowed me in the face 50 times in the last during this series, but I'm going to be mad about the handshake? They just use that as the little bit to like poke at the at, at the Pistons to like, you know, middle America who believes in the sportsmanship stuff. There's no sportsmanship in the 1980s, 90s NBA. It, 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 it's the biggest. It, it's like the Bulls were a bunch of tough guys. 
Jordan's a tough guy. And then they go all snowflake on you over this one little thing. Oh my God. How could Isaiah do that? The Bulls trashed the Pistons. They beat up the Pistons. It was a real rivalry. I love that they're still salty, but to whine about this is garbage. I don't care. I could care less about this thing. And I'm right and you're wrong, Pat. <laughs> well, here's what I have to say. No, no, no. Uh, this whole thing, to me, the most hilarious byproduct of this documentary has been this resurgence in Piston fan anger because the bad boys haven't gotten their due and haven't gotten their respect. They were a great team and people shouldn't be talking about all these other teams that were great because the Pistons were as good as they were. My God, get over yourselves. This is, first of all, it's a Bulls documentary. <laughs> it's not about the Pistons. I'm sorry we're not spending a bunch of time singing hosannas to the bad boys. They had their 30 for 30. It's all in there. Go back and watch that again if you feel like you need the Piston affirmation 30 years later. My gosh. Stop it. The Pistons are done. If you had to watch Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and the bunch of jabronis they've been rolling out for the past couple of years, you'd you'd be you'd be waxing in nostalgia too. I mean, that I suppose has, so has basically flatlined since the bat. Actually, that's not true. They had one one little resurgence. Uh, they had a great uh, Larry Brown miracle of like two thousand four, was it? They won a title. Yeah. They went to Game yep, Seven of uh, the second year in the finals, and they won six straight yeah. years to the Eastern Conference Finals. There, they were great for a while there, but. I think their point is they should have won. They really were one bad call. I mean, they called the foul on Lambeer fouling Kareem Abdul-Jabbar oh, at the end of the year. Here we go. One That's bad, bad call, call in 1988. Let's, let's go that ahead and relitigate that, too. the last play of the 1988 Game 7. I mean, of all the bad calls, if that thing had happened to Michael Jordan, there'd be a 10-part documentary on that call. <laughs> I am not a Piston fan. I did not grow up a Piston fan. I was like the rest of America. I hated the Pistons. There's... But that was a great team, A. And B, the one person who deserves more respect, or at least respect, is Isaiah Thomas. Not a great executive, not really a great person, but the man could play. Like, there was a stretch there when the other Isaiah Thomas was, like, scoring a lot for Boston, and people were like, the new Isaiah is better than the old Isaiah. And you're like, come on now. Like, Isaiah Thomas is on. Look at the cast of bums that he dragged to to all those titles. Bill Lambeer and Rick Mahorn as his front court, and he almost won three titles. He almost three-peated. I mean, Vinnie Johnson was like a – Joe Dumars is a terrific player, but, I mean, there's no – Vinnie could play. They could play, play, but this was not a loaded Celtics-Lakers teams. Those are who they were beating back then. So I want the 30 for 30 on Isaiah Thomas's Florida international head coaching (laughs) stint. That's what America needs during the pandemic. How about running the CBA out of business after like 75 years? The debacle with the Knicks. Isaiah, I mean, he's Isaiah was a look, he was a great player, an all time great player. And yes, Jordan probably kept him off the 92 dream team. And yes, that was 100% pettiness, whatever. Fine. Boy, you want to talk about a petulant, sorry ass loser? I mean, when he when he when he lost, he was the biggest sore loser ever. Yeah, he's he's gone so the, 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 with the Larry Bird team. thing in nineteen eighty seven. In eighty seven, when he says Bird, Bird, if Bird were a black player, he'd just be another black player. He'd just be another player. <laughs> just it's another guy. He's white. Just like, another guy. What? What? Yeah, he apologized. He walked that one back quick. Yeah, he better. Yeah, I was like, nah. Uh, and Isaiah is way smart enough to know exactly what he's talking about. He his whining about the dream team is 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 just as is just as like at this point. I get that that was a great honor. He actually gets more attention by not being on the dream team. That's true. He's been martyred. Nobody even remembers that John Stockton was on the dream team. <laughs> right now, or they Mark took John Price. Stockton. Wasn't Martin Price. On? I think it was Stockton over Isaiah. Like what? But. Like, nobody sits there and, it, like, he actually is getting more attention. It's like how people are like, nobody ever mentioned Sam Gilbert when it comes to John Wooden. Actually, they always do. It's literally <laughs> yeah, like the first sure thing do. people say. You go, John Wooden, <laughs> yeah. man, won a lot of titles. Nobody ever mentions that Sam Gilbert. Yeah, they, they really do. Yeah. He's the most famous sure. rogue That's, Everybody booster. knows his name because he gets mentioned. <laughs> He's the right? most famous rogue booster in the history of basketball yeah. and, and college sports. Yeah, they always talk about it. Everybody talks about it. Anyway, yeah, Isaiah, yeah. it's like a bunch of old men arguing about some like pee knuckle game 
from back in the day. Like, her, you know, it's Al Bundy talking about scoring four touchdowns against Polk High School. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, guys, move on. Moving on, please. Yeah. Can yes. we get more Carmen Electra on here? Yeah. <laughs> Aged better than everybody else in the, in the documentary. Yeah, that's for sure. I was like, this is a 20-year inter- old interview with Carmen. <laughs> you know what slid off Isaiah? And I, I remember this because I was living in New York City at the at the time was uh, the the 2006 sexual harassment lawsuit that cost oh, like yeah. the Knicks organization yeah. 11.5 million and uh, Ancha Brown Saunders. Like that's like that's the kind of thing that can like it probably should have stuck a little harder to him, quite frankly. And I mean, it, it, if you if, yeah, if you think about what he did after that, it was what you know, including being a head coach at <laughs> oh. FIU. There's no way. And now post me too, you can get a college head coaching job after costing your uh, after costing your bosses eleven point yeah. eleven point five million. Um, yeah, like that's one of those strange things that has yeah. not stuck no, to him at all. You know what, Isaiah? If there was ever a smile that masked the rest of what he was really about, I mean, that was him. Great player, absolutely a great player. The one, the most impressive thing he ever did was the one game where he, he came back from a sprained ankle and scored like 32 in the first quarter or something ridiculous. I, I, I'm probably getting my facts wrong. I think it was the, f- the fourth, fourth quarter, quarter okay. wasn't it? Against- Whatever it was against the Lakers. I don't know. I got to watch. The Bad Boy documentary is good. It's only two hours. See, because they're 10. disrespected. That's what's got the- they should get 10. They yeah, should get 12. Right? <laughs> they only won two yeah. titles to six, though, so it should have been a third. should have gotten a third <laughs> hour. I think they should have gotten like a – yeah, I mean – it is a that I do enjoy, I did enjoy the um I thought that was one of 30 for 30's better ones was bad boys. But um well, other than Carmen Electra, the highlight last night was the incredulous look on Jordan's face when the documentarian was trying to oh, show yeah. him the He's Isaiah like, video. No. He's just like, no, no, I don't want to lie. I mean you can show it to me, but okay. Like it was his mind was well, completely as, made up. As well it should have been. All right, let's get to the draft. And and let's get to to this. Uh, a few stats. I'm, I'm going to take a couple of them from uh, Matt Fortuna, who, who uh, writes for the Athletic. He broke down some of the Ohio State stuff, but I also got uh, some others. Let's start with Ohio State, and we'll get to Michigan. Ohio State did Urban Meyer underachieve during his time at Ohio State. Now he won one national title, so that's awful good. However, in the last four years. They have 32 draft picks, including uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten first rounders. Lattimore, Hooker, Conley, Price, Ward, Bosa, Haskins, Young, Akuda, Arnett. Now, I know he didn't coach this team the last year, but he was loading up on talent. Yet every year there was this got upset by Michigan State in 15. That team should have been better. That, that shouldn't have happened. They get they get absolutely doors blown off against Clemson in 16. Iowa blowout in 17, Purdue blowout in 18. They really only got into in, they only got into the, the playoff to win the title because of the because I think Barry Alvarez was on the committee and his team was so humiliated losing 59 zip that they and, and they had the, the quote third stringer that they I really think it was a great selection. They won the title. I'm not really like that, but at the time I thought they didn't have the that they got in because of like emotion. They have all of this all of this talent. And Urban could not, he couldn't win a tight, he couldn't win a playoff game after 14. I, you know, what do you think? Is, is there something Urban Meyer doesn't do well there? Or is that just the way it works? But I guess he didn't score a point after the title game in the playoffs, considering all this talent. What do you think, uh, Pat? Yeah, I think you look at it two ways. First of all, I mean, incredible job amassing the talent and getting to the playoff is a major achievement. But, Winning in the playoff is the ultimate achievement, and he didn't come all the way through there. I don't think there's any doubt that that there was a little taste of not quite fulfilling or maximizing all the talent that that he had amassed. And you look at you know the the draft picks for Clemson haven't stacked up like they have for um, for Ohio State. Now they're getting there, and they're they're going to continue to have them, but. Uh, you know, I think in terms of of maximizing what you had, Clemson has far far out uh, achieved Ohio State. You know, the, the sense to me was that there was always just enough. I mean, Urban did a lot of things incredibly well, but there was just enough angst and 
pressure and anxiety involved there that there was just a crack or a little fragility in there that would lead to those games like the the Iowa meltdown, the Purdue meltdown, the Clemson shutout meltdown where they just all of a sudden like a little goes wrong and then it goes way wrong. And, you know, hey, hey, you, you got to be really good to get to the point where those are very shocking, but they, they were shocking and they showed to me that there was just a little bit that wasn't quite operating at 100%. I think, you know, whether Ryan Day, and I remember Pete saying this last year, that that Ryan Day's presence in the the building there at Ohio State, you know, just was a little bit calmer, uh, where it went from fourth and one every day to just a little bit more uh, maybe sanity or perspective. So that's my thought on it. I remember, you know, him like fainting, yeah. dur- practically fainting during the, the oh, Michigan gosh. game yeah. that they actually won. And uh, there's just a lot of weird stuff. Here's from Fortuna. Ohio State had two players drafted in the top five twice in the past five years. Obviously, this year, Young and Akuda. They also had uh, Burrow on campus. So, I mean, it's just astounding, right? At one point, the top three picks in the draft were all. Uh, and then in 16, they had uh, Bosa, uh, Zeke, Zeke Elliott. Now they won the title. Joey Bosa. Uh, Ohio State, the first school to have a defensive player picked in the top five, three consecutive drafts. And that's four total. And then they've had multiple first-round picks in each of the past five years. Not even Alabama or Clemson has accomplished that. Now, Alabama has racked up some, like, five-pick years and things like that. 83-9, and so that's pretty good. But I will say this, 15 is the year that will haunt him and the the people who are in that building forever. They had the most talent in 15. They were better in 15 than 14. I think you were at that game, Dan. You were at that game, Pat. I was at that game when they they lost to Michigan State. Yeah, I was there. It was inexplicable. I mean, it was just... Yes, well, Zeke had been out. He'd been in the hospital that week, and they just didn't run him. I remember tweeting during the game, why aren't they running Zeke? Why aren't they running Zeke? And, uh, you know, that's that's going to be the master class of D'Antonio, right? Like, I mean, just if you look at the talent disparity on those, uh, on those two teams, it was gargantuan. But it was like a gnarly day out of Big Ten Central casting. And if I remember right, Michigan State did not take the lead until there was no time on the clock when the ball went through the uprights and the kicker gave that great air guitar celebration. Um, I'm going to remember his name. But, you know, and it was just it was just shocking that uh, that 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 had happened. And that was kind of the, the the one that got away. And if you look back, I I think you can pinpoint there were some staff mistakes that that Urban made. He promoted from within instead of bringing in a coordinator from outside. There were some there were some holes in the staff that that you can point to when you look at the the co coordinators that were uh, that were there in fifteen and then in sixteen it all blew up in that Fiesta Bowl when they didn't score and he kind of had to start over. And if memory serves me right, that's when he brought in uh, that's when he brought in Ryan Day in uh in 17 to be the quarterback coach promoted him in 18 and i think their schemes uh, evolved some and they were able able to better better highlight talent so i i do think considering the mass of talent that went through that building and the collection that they had that there is a sense by some people who've lived that whole era that they should have been in the mix more, especially 15. That's the one that, that people really tear their hair out over you know, talk you, them in that building. That Greg Schiano defense in 18, Ooh, too, man. That brutal. thing, was, that thing yeah. was a mess considering how much You know who else had. in 2015 said, why aren't they running Zeke? Zeke. <laughs> after that game, after that game is Michigan State, yes. he gets to the oh, podium yeah. and trashes and I'm like, oh, boy. I'm taking that in the notebook and running to the press box to write that column. Yeah, that was that was yeah. very unvarnished. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, now flipping over. Don't get too excited, Wolverine <laughs> fans. At least Ohio State's got a title and uh, some playoff appearances. Michigan, twenty-eight draft picks in the last four years. Twenty-eight for Michigan. Now they only have five first rounders: Peppers, Taco Charlton, Devin Bush, Sean Gary, and Ruiz. But 28 picks and you did nothing. <laughs> what? I I don't know what to say. I mean, look, there's they I, until they beat like Notre Dame this year, wasn't it? Just like they just beat nobody. Yeah, no, they, they beat Notre, Notre Dame. That's that's the first victory of note, really, that they have had 
in really basically the Harbaugh era. They they spanked a Penn State team that really wasn't that good in uh, in 2016. They they beat a Wisconsin team that was okay. You know they had some wins there in 2016, but then after once they lost that showdown controversial showdown game with Ohio State, after that they have done. Nothing as a program. As Dan, as you have pointed out many times, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. They lose the teams that are ranked higher than them. And that's the story, game after game, year after year. So yes, there has been massive. When you have twenty-eight, when you have twenty-eight draft picks, you're going yeah. to. I think it was an old, I don't know whether D'Antonio said it or this is paraphrasing his basic thought, was that they're hard to beat on signing day. The rest of the year, maybe not. <laughs> and I didn't quite say that, but it was, that was and it's true. Mich- I mean, Mich- we've all been to Michigan. It's the kind of place you want to go put, go to college. You know, I mean, it's got everything. Perfect college town, stadium, the fight song. I mean, you go and you're like, yeah, I want to, I wish I could go here. So, you know, you can always recruit, <laughs> but, uh, that, you know, as these things rack up and I think Michigan either had the, the most or I don't know what they have. They didn't have the most. LSU had the most, but just second most second. Ten, they tied with Ohio State. Yeah, second most. And it's just it's it's mind dumbing. I, I don't I don't get it. And, I, and I'll, I'll say I, I don't know. I, I've always said they haven't had the talent of Ohio State and they, they don't. But I, maybe I'm underselling how much talent they have. And then then you go like, why is. I mean, this is Jim Harbaugh. He was a he was an excellent coach at Stanford and at, at the 49ers. Like what? I, I just don't yeah, know what's going on. There's a disconnect there between what Harbaugh had done and what he is doing recently. There really is. I mean, I because I what he did at Stanford was amazing. What he did with the 49ers was excellent. Uh, and then that 2016 team, I thought he did a very good job with at Michigan. And since then, uh, nothing. When you when you look at Michigan from from the big picture, for, first of all, I I agree with Dan's with Dan's point. Like they've kind of become boring. And who would ever thought when Jim Harbaugh came in and was holding satellite camps and lifting his middle finger to Paul Feinbaum and taking foreign trips that they'd actually become kind of a boring program? But they really have. They are their their highs aren't very high. Their lows haven't been very, well. Other than that Wisconsin game this year. They've just sort of been ordinary average what you should be when you roll out of bed every day, Michigan. Um, Now, they had 10 draft picks, but I think seven of them were on the last day. So I don't think they've had the same high-end talent that some of these other places have had. But the player that jumps out to me is Donovan Peoples-Jones. When you look at this guy coming out of high school, when you look at him on the hoof, he is a guy that that people thought was a monster. I saw Urban Meyer quoted somewhere this week that he said, he thought Donovan Peoples-Jones should be a top 15 pick. Now, that's probably because he recruited him and then played against him and, and knew the talent. And, you know, those those recruiting losses sort of always sting a little bit, always sting a little bit longer. But he went in the sixth rounds, in the sixth round by the Browns. And, I mean, that guy didn't, didn't do a damn thing his entire career. He was just an ordinary average guy. And, and like, you, you wonder okay. if, yeah, like, like, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't terrible, but when you when you look at the actual production now some of that is they they haven't had a good quarterback I, if if you had to give uh he had 47 catches in 18 for eight touchdowns and then uh and then that obviously that obviously dipped uh that dipped last year as they kind of went through that identity crisis on offense he had 34 catches in in six touchdowns last year you know the thought is that the raw talent there is is a lot further than that now some of it is like Harbaugh, he took Jake Rudock and made him a draft pick. And other than that, the work at quarterback since he's got to Michigan has been has been really subpar. I mean, there's no other way. There's no other way to say it. Uh, if you look at the guy who recruited and developed Andrew Luck, and you look at the guy who took Colin Kaepernick, like traded. If they didn't trade up, they way reached for him. You know, early in that draft, second, identified him. Yeah, second round. I think it was first pick in the second him, round or something. Yeah. Yeah identified and that was like a whoa what are they doing they have alex smith no like the guy had conviction and he had vision and they fulfilled it i mean those those niners teams were were dynamic and they were and they were awesome we just haven't seen that out of the uh out of the quarterback position at michigan and when you look at how they're recruiting right now they're up there in rivals but i think they have three commitments from massachusetts i just don't think they're beating the right people in recruiting to be a playoff team right now and if you talk to 
player personnel guys and, and you talk to different coaches, they feel like the direction of Michigan is is a little bit rudderless right now on the recruiting trail. And I, I think there's a direct correlation, you know, when you look at these top, top classes that Ryan Day and Ed Orgeron and Nick Saban and Dabo are all having to playing in that playoff and to playing on that uh, on that high level. Uh, I, obviously, the if you had a good quarterback, that a lot of that changes. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I saw play high school football, and he is a, a dramatic athlete. He was not a great route runner, I don't think, at, at Michigan, but I think he's a steal for Cleveland because if he – if he gets somebody who can throw him, this this kid's a great athlete. He's big time. Great point on where you're beating recruits. I remember, I think it was Brian Kelly was talking about if you want to win playoff games, you need to beat playoff teams for recruits. And and that's a lot of like, I got to beat Clemson for a kid outside of it, out of Atlanta, beat Clemson in Alabama. You can't just, you know, uh, four stars. Yeah, four stars from Massachusetts. Or is that a four star from, from, you know, Orlando, I I don't know, probably not. So I think there's a little bit of that that I think is a good point. It also goes back to one of my whole things is five-star recruits matter. They're first-round draft picks. And you watch these trades. Guys will give up three. uh, So there's seven uh, rounds, 32 teams, 255 or so draft picks. There's a a bunch of uh, auxiliary picks and compensate. The rival's 250, right? That's basically the same thing. You've got guys, you've got coaches willing to trade. They would trade four guys rated 200 to 250 to get to move up 10 spots in in, in 20 to, to 10, right? So like the value that the NFL shows on that elite player. And, and I do think like, so sometimes the rivals rankings, like they, if you get a ton of four stars, you can get really high up there when you're probably better off with just, a few five stars and a bunch of threes, you know, or something like that. But it, recruiting matters, and you got to have that elite thing, and you got to have a QB and and Michigan. Yeah, and that's the thing. Him. I mean, like, so, okay, uh, Michigan is recruiting well enough to be ahead in terms of talent of most everyone in the Big Ten, but they're nowhere near the level of Ohio State, and that's the thing. They're they're not just losing to Ohio State; they're getting destroyed by Ohio State year in and year out, and that is a talent disparity. There's probably a coaching disparity, but there's definitely a talent disparity. And I say this, and I'm ripping on Michigan's recruiting. They're fifth right now in the uh, in in the rivals' rankings, but their average star ranking is 3.4, which only uh, no, it's not high enough. Very few people in the top ten, other than Minnesota. Minnesota's in the top ten. They've got 13 recruits. They're lower than Michigan. Other than that, every other team in the top ten, in the top nine is uh, has a higher average ranking, and it's Georgia, USC, Notre Dame, Clemson is four compared to Michigan's 3.4. And I think like when you're when you're really dialing in on recruiting, the you know, not where they're ranked because that's a lot by volume, right? Like North Carolina's 3 in part because they got 14 guys. Um you really want to look at that average star ranking and that's where uh that's where Michigan is uh is lagging. But I think to dial back to Dan's point, uh, you know, bringing up that Brian Kelly comment is the right thing. Like if you are not beating the teams you hope to beat head to head in recruiting, you're probably not going to beat them on the field. And if you go, well, what are what are rivals rankings? A twenty four seven, whatever you want. We like rivals, but uh, rivals had twenty one of the thirty two first rounders or four or higher, seven five stars in the fir- in the first round, former five stars. So your predictive element of a five star becoming a first round is only thirty uh, or so five stars. So you basically got almost a one quarter chance yeah. or so. Of that five star becoming a first, I will round say, yeah. Can we uh, some respect for the people that do that business and rivals in twenty four seven? They've gotten a lot better at it. You know, they, they, I think the recruiting rankings have become much more accurate. They see more of the guys they're putting on their own camps, and it'll be interesting, I guess, to wonder if the next round of rankings may be a little off because they're not having those camps. There is no, you know, camp circuit. So. I know. Uh, I know. With that, they get a lot of great. Yeah, they get video now, right? Like, remember when it was like Tom Lemming would just drive around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You know, and 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 then maybe he'd get these grainy. Now they can watch so much video, and it's and it's not. Um, it's not just fake video. It's not just like highlight reels cut up. They can go watch a game. Every game, every high school game is on yeah. YouTube somewhere. So they have a much. It's much much better than it used to be. It's also much better. And even better than than that, inside these major program 
personnel offices. I mean, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, these guys have scouting departments that are that are no different than the Patriots sure. and the Cowboys. It's- so they're watching much better. They're not just showing up going, that kid right. looks big or that, you know, it's not about watching games on Friday night at, at some high school and, and, and some guy up in the back of the stands. It's it's really good people scouting. Well, I remember doing a story on uh, one of the playoff years in Ohio State's personnel office. Like, not only do they watch every game of every kid. So basically, it used to be the coaches who did this. And the coaches have too much work to do. They got their own room. They got whatever. Now they basically subletted all the groundwork to these right. personnel departments. So they'll watch every snap a kid's played in high school. And then they'll put together highlight tapes of, like, the 15 best snaps and then the 15 worst snaps. And then they'll bring those forward to the coaches to streamline and watch them to go through. But those things are massive operations, and they're only going to get bigger because now if you're at the Big Ten, you're going to have to have people just dedicated to watching the math with the transfer rules coming so you can take the best player from ball. So that Ball State guard would have a chance to theoretically go to Indiana or Michigan or somewhere else next year, the guy Pinter who got uh, who got drafted uh, on the on the third day. I just really feel like, they, you made the right analogy, Dan. They, they are as sophisticated in these collegiate departments as they are as they are in the NFL, and they're only going to keep growing. I, you know, some schools call them g- general managers, the head, and I think that job becomes the next boom we see. You know, strength coaches all of a sudden started making near a million dollars. We saw that evolution probably start. 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, there's a lot of dudes over a half million dollars. I think we're going to start to see a lot of these GMs over a half million dollars because, look, uh, all your schemes are great. But I, I, I really feel like if you have the right personnel guy who can evaluate, who can weed out the bad seeds, who can, you know, manipulate the transfer wire, I, I mean, that's arguably more valuable than anyone on your staff other than head coach, strength coach. Yeah, and great. Let's spend more money on football support staff. Awesome. <laughs> what a great um it's i think it's uh, john dornbus who's the magician he plays it for the eagle played for a long time for the eagles he's a long snapper and then he became he won like america's got talent really? as a magician i didn't know any of this uh, it was <laughs> where are we going with this dan he's a great story no he's a great story his he actually i mean it's a sad story he um growing up his father uh, this is a terrible story but his father murdered his mother oh my gosh he was obviously in great mourning because he was like 11 or something. And he, and he, um, his dad, like his mom's dead and his dad's in prison. Right. And so he goes to a foster home and then eventually to his aunt, he has a tough childhood and he basically spent his time learning how to be a magician to like pass time and get his mind off things. So he becomes a magician, but he's also a football player, but he was, wasn't good enough in, uh, at his high school. So he took, uh, this is old school. This is how you can trick schools back in the day. He made a, a highlight reel tape where he cut up three different players on his team and, and put all their highlights together oh, into one God. and said it was him. Wow. And he got a scholarship really? to UTEP out of it. <laughs> then he went to UTEP and became a long snapper, and he was a long snapper in the NFL for That's like 15 years. Story. Including years and years, the Eagles. And yeah, now he's a, now he's a like a tours around. He's like a big, big time uh, <laughs> magician. But it's yeah. a sleight of hand. But I just thought about that now. Like, you couldn't get away. Uh, maybe you could with UTEP. I don't know. I don't think they got They may still just have, like, a VCR down there. But, but um, you're, not, you're, not, yeah, you're not tricking anybody by just splicing together. He's like, of course I looked good enough for Utah. It was three guys in one. Like, <laughs> like, look at this tackle the guy made. Then the next play, he's, uh, he's catching passes on. You know, hey, so he did everything. But. Pretty, uh, Here's Christian my Dawkins question, hero, though. Right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> for for the Tim Salem's out there who are are so busy they can't go home to help with the uh, household chores as these assistant coaches in college football. You've got all the support staff now breaking down the high school film for you. You've got all the support staff writing the you know emails and notes and letters and stuff to all the recruits. What do you do with your time? What do you yeah, tech, What are you DMs doing with your too. time now yeah. to make yourself so busy? What's the excuse? Well, I wonder how Tim's handling this uh, home. Can't get away. Uh, can't get out of it. We do. We need an update on that. Yeah, I'll I'll do some I'll do some digging and get a Tim Salen update. My investigative reporting skills will be sharpened. Well, uh, our faithful listeners who remember Tim and his flat Mountain Dew. Do you think his wife? Likes that could be a real Mountain sticking point right there. You know, Tim Salen. Yes, tight end coach at Pittsburgh. He's our he's our guy here on the podcast and. Uh, who, who famously said that he uh, was stayed at the office just to avoid going home and doing chores. So our kind of guy. 
Yes, he likely has no idea of our moderate obsession with him. But that's okay. Husband of the year right there. Just like yeah. Rodman. I've learned from Rodman. I've learned from Tim Salem. Um, the flat Mountain Dew because he doesn't have time for carbonation is one of my all-time favorites, too. Yes. Uh, so busy coaching tight ends at Pitt. Imagine how bad Pitt would be if he was actually dealing with the, the delay of a Mountain Dew of a, of a carbonated sip. You see, like, his wife's eating, like, cottage cheese and raspberries for breakfast, and he's just, like, slugging flat Mountain Dew at, like, 7.15 in the morning. Oh, he's, he's bouncing off the walls. I mean, this is not. Yeah. And yeah, it's not like. Status man in quarantine might be Tim Salem. And it's not like Dabo Sweetie, who's probably got some, like, 50,000 square foot mansion, and he gets on his private plane and goes to his Florida mansion. Like, you're the tight end coach at Pitt. You know, you probably don't have that big of a house. Like, you can't just. You just can't make it work like these other. We really feel for you, Tim. All right. People's court. Bring it. People's court. All right. Judges. Always put on your judge hat. All right. Here is the crime. Two people were taken into custody after police said security cameras captured video of them breaking into Neyland Stadium, which is obviously the home field of the University of Tennessee, just after midnight Monday. So this wasn't Sully. <laughs> Not Sully. Okay, uh, you would have been my first suspect. Well, let's just say this. Well, hold on, hold on. Five people were seen crawling under a hole in the fence near Gate 22. Only two were arrested. <laughs> As someone, I don't want to be like, I don't want to, do I, am I helping someone on the lamb? I'm not going to ask any questions of Sully right now. <laughs> Is there dirt in that beard, Sully? We see on the I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to say, I'm going to continue on with the judge. We're not doing the, this is not detective. This is, you're the judge, not the detective here. Okay. When officers arrived, they said two people were carrying 24 packs of beer. were still inside the fence. Okay. Borth, Rachel Barber and Spencer Nagamua uh, reportedly admitted to the officers. They had stolen beer from the concession stand inside the stadium. One person admitted that a KDP officer warned them it was a bad idea to break into the stadium because it was under 24-hour surveillance. <laughs> and they didn't listen to the cop that told them Do your them that. civil duty, man. Right. Yeah. Uh, the officers reported hey, we know that the Knoxville <laughs> cops do their civic duty, right? If there's they one do, thing we have realized. Yeah, their civic I don't, duty will be done. If if Rachel could run fast and you know beat the Tribson Tide, yeah, she'd, she'd be free. <laughs> officers reported... All the stole. There was a bunch of stolen. All right, basically, I don't know. This story is not really well done, but basically, there was a concession stand inside the stadium that had a bunch of beer just laying there. And these guys, noting that the stadium was not open, saw it going to waste, and so they break in to get to. I think rescue the beer. Could they have been rescuing the beer, not stealing it? The officers say the stolen beer at a value of six hundred and twenty-four dollars. Uh, they were booked into the Knox County Detention Center and charged with burglary. Okay. Now, we have other stories of how there's a bunch of beer and kegs at bars and breweries that have to get poured out and destroyed, but they, there's like all sorts of environment, oh. right? Because yeah. we can't drink it. It's, it's a disastrous time. So, we'll start with you, Justice 40. Should defendant Rachel and defendant Spencer be prosecuted here. Are they guilty of stealing beer or are they rescuing beer? <laughs> well, that's the question. Right, I, Your thoughts before I get to my my uh, judgment on this. But if only two of the five were caught, knowing a little about Neyland Stadium, are the other three still at large in the stadium? Like they used to have dorms back in the old, old, olden days within the stadium. Could they be living in like a 1920 student housing room or something? I think they need to check that out. Okay. Second, now to get to the two who have been charged, Councilman Councilor Wetzel, you pre you present a very compelling point that the beer needed to be rescued, uh, especially in this time when you know you got a born on date on those beers, and it could be approaching dead date. You don't want dead flat stale beer on your hands. Maybe Tim Salem would, but you uh, you you need to have that beer uh, absolutely apprehended and and imbibed. It has to be consumed. I think it's a public service. I, I, I say let them go. And as a matter of fact, give them a key to the stadium for their efforts. All right. All right. Justice Pete. As, 
as much as I hate to agree with Justice Forty, uh, I really see this as a humanitarian mission. And I have a lot of empathy for the plight that Rachel and Spencer have gone through as Tennessee students. I mean, they lived through <laughs> four and eight with Brady oh Hoke my. as an interim coach. They lived through five and seven, and then an eight and five, where the things have got so twisted at Tennessee, they got happy about beating Indiana. Like, that was a highlight. Like, think about the bizarre world. And then the pandemic hits. So they've seen a lot of bad ball. They've seen a lot of bad coaching. And you know what? Like, I just really feel like they needed to drown drown their sorrows. So... No, I say I say let them let them free and, and you know they sh- they should belong to some of the top service organizations on campus. Paint the rock duty. with their names: free Rachel and free Alex or whoever they were. Spencer, Spencer, sure. Spencer. Yeah, I, I'll add a couple points here. One, uh, I blame Tennessee. Uh, your football team sucks so bad. Your fans didn't. You didn't have enough fans <laughs> to drink all the beer. <laughs> it was a leftover beer when Peyton Manning was around. <laughs> Okay. Two, what's with the hole in the fence? Is this the Butch Jones defense <laughs> memorial or something? Five people can crawl under a fence and carry beer out? You're basically asking someone to walk in. Hey, if they went one more gate, they uh, would have made it. That, uh, but, but apparently it was the wrong gate. Sully says 23, they would have got away with it. 22, they get caught. Uh, what? So uh, are you saying you've broken into 23, Sully? I will not confirm or deny. Did you steal beer or was this like, this better not have been a date. If it was, I don't want to hear the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had a little pre-publication discussion about uh, which uh, sure. stadiums you could sneak into and, and not sneak into. We, we, the Carrier Dome's on lockdown, but basically, literally, can't get in there. I asked my son, who's a Georgia student, uh, he said that people could get in at Georgia. I asked my daughter about Stanford. She said nobody wants to go in the football stadium even when they're playing football, much less when they're not. <laughs> <laughs> what about at UMass, Dan? Did, did people didn't go into McGurk Stadium for any reason, right? I don't even know if they know where it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think anybody went there. Follow the tumbleweed. Tumble. All right, that's our show this week. Appreciate you listening. Share us on social media. We will be back uh, later this week with more enjoyable hijinks. Talk to you later. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod.